Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where words are music, hearts are melodies, and harmony is our vision. I'm Jill Minier. And I'm Daniel Townsend. And thank you all so much for joining in today. I hope you're having a good day so far. Our guest this episode was born and raised in Santa Monica, California. He began playing trumpet at age 10, fell in love with the low tones of the tuba at 13, and switched to electric bass at 15. He started gigging in clubs as a teenager in L.A., toured with early rock and R&B bands, played in Hollywood punk-era clubs, and toured with a Latin folk band. He's toured with the Drifters, Richard Berry, and performed on bills with the likes of Albert King, Pete Seeger, Bonnie Raitt, and Billy Idol. He's a hard-working session player and has played on many artist albums, including Mazzy Starr. Our guest moved from L.A. to the Bay Area in 1991 and now resides in Sebastopol, California. He is the go-to bass player for many acts and continues to be an active session player. We're happy to welcome our guest, Paul Ogeen, to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for coming out today. Oh, hi. Thank you for having me. So I think uh, I read that you were actually in Berkeley last night at Ashkenaz. I was with Mitch Polzak and okay. the Royal Deuces. It was a great time. Neat. I love Ashkenaz. Yeah, that place <laughs> has been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's so adorable because people of all ages come there to dance. Sweet. And they come there to dance. They don't come there to get drunk mm-hmm. or maybe they come there to pick people up. But basically we played for two and a half, three hours straight of folks dancing together. <laughs> and it, it made me realize how much I miss that. Mm. You know, people just dancing. Yeah, that is really sweet. And that all ages are there. Mm-hmm. Really neat. Sounds like a great community over there. Yeah, it is. It's in that, and Ashkenaz is an institution there. It mm-hmm. really is, yeah. We always love to ask our guests, mm-hmm. what was your earliest uh, memory listening to music? Mm-hmm. That probably, well, my mother used to tell me that to get me to go to sleep in my crib, she would take the AM radio and put it under my pillow. <laughs> and it was whatever the, there was an AM jazz station in Los Angeles, if you can imagine such a thing. <laughs> and <clears throat> she swears that the um, Dave Brubeck Take 5 was like their sign-on song. So maybe that's that's a memory that, that she planted. Yeah. You know, but... That's a very sweet memory. It was. It's a very sweet memory. Yeah. Um, but, How about yourself, yeah. Well, yeah, an actual memory. Actual um, memory. <laughs> you know, both my parents listened to music all the time. Neither of them really played, but I had this great richness of stuff. Uh, my mom was the country rock and roll person, and my dad was the jazz guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. My first actual memory, that's a good one. Yeah, take your time to just kind of reflect on that. Yeah, it, that's, I, I haven't thought about that for a long time. I know the profound ones. They also made me, woke me up out of my, my bed when I was little so I could see the Beatles. Whoa. You know, and I don't remember that either. Mm. But, um, but it's in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere. In so, you know, default, it's probably a Beatles thing or some record that I was obsessed of, of my yeah. mom's. Yeah. Sure. So uh, being obsessed with a record... Um, so your mom was into country rock and... Country, well, back then there was no such thing as country rock. Okay. This is before Charlie Daniels. This is, mm-hmm. there, was, there was Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was her generation. Sweet. Totally. Nice. Um, Little Richard and all that stuff. Yeah. 
I know that you play so many different kinds of music. You, mm-hmm. You've toured with all kinds of different um, musicians, different genres, yeah. um, and you're a very, very versatile player. I'm wondering if you have, uh, might be a loaded question, but um, a favorite genre to listen to, actually. To listen to? You know, the, the, the funny thing is, and I've, I've read this in other musicians of a certain age, who are actually famous, and it's like, you know, I just want to listen to music that that makes me relax. Um, mm. mm-hmm. <clears throat> so frequently, I just default back to whatever was on the radio when I was a kid because it still enchants me and mystifies me. And some, you know, how someone can in three minutes take you on a little, little trip in your yeah. head, mm-hmm. and, and how do they do that in three minutes? That's that's the holy grail, you know, is to be able to get that. And and either make you cry or laugh or you know, so uh, I don't know. Probably more singer songwriter stuff. Although I do love listening to jazz and and you know sort of more avant garde stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So I so I just avoided stuff. answering your question. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well yeah. done. But we but we get the gist of it, right? And so that would Absolutely. have been maybe like around in the seventies, seventies stuff. Yeah, 60s, 70s, you know, yeah, yeah I, I was born in 60, so. Yeah, me six, I was born in 61, so we're nice. probably listening to the same thing mm-hmm. back then. Oh, yeah. And radio was so great um, mm-hmm. back then, one, because there was radio and there were so many stations and they were all relatively independent, yeah. you know. It's a lot like now where they're, they're so homogenized, it doesn't matter what station's on. Right, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, there's a real power behind like the music that you grew up listening to. Mm. There's so much emotion tied to that, and I think probably almost everybody goes back to that music mm-hmm. and still listens to it to this day. Sure. I think there's a reason why at the bars we hear a lot of '80s cover bands <laughs> right oh. now, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a popular thing. Sure, you know, and that will change yeah. as it goes on. Right, and right. and people people revert. People are comfortable with the music that they grew up with, yeah. and and you know, there's no no shame in that. That's always been true. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there were people rioting when Stravinsky premiered things because it didn't sound like what they were used right. to. But, you know, yeah. now people look back fondly on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so comfort and relaxation are a couple of words that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm hearing there about how music works with us. Yeah, and when you do it for a living, you know, it's it's nice to not, have to take that busman's holiday of I wonder what guitar he was playing. <laughs> How does that? Well, I bet I could play that melody. Yeah. So sometimes going back to something comfortable just allows you to enjoy the right music and the memories associated with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you don't usually listen in an analytical sort of ear. You listen. Well, by for, default, you do. Of course. You know, right. because it's it's like. Um, it's like driving a car, you know. You see somebody do something stupid or you say, well, I wouldn't do that. That's, this <laughs> yeah. is how I would do it. Right. And, you know, you listen to music and, and like I said, you start taking it apart because yeah. I've spent most of my life trying to take it apart to figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. Yeah. I think and, I'm good at avoiding direct answers. <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. I think no. you're just really creative. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. Um, no absolutes, you know. That's yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking about the story uh, that I, you know, read about you in the Mercury News in this oh. little article, mm-hmm. and um, it talked about uh, how when you were 15, speak of speaking of going back and mm-hmm. and like really working hard to, to kind of, uh, you know, um, figure out how music works. Mm-hmm. That you were really working on your bass, um, and just can you tell us about that, like learning how to play the bass? Well, you know, I. Uh 
like you said, I, I went from trumpet to tuba. Tuba kind of hooked me in down there. And then, like with most, you know, young people, my friends had a band and somebody had to play bass. And I, <laughs> and I always liked the bass, you know, and I related to Paul McCartney because of his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So uh, one year I saved whatever my, you know, my Christmas money and my allowance and all that, and I went down to a pawn shop and bought a bass. And then on the way home, I stopped at the record store and I bought three albums, which I still probably have. What are they? Okay, so kind of embarrassing. But the first one oh. was a Sha Na Na record, mm-hmm. you know? So it was just like there were 22 classic oldies on that record. Yeah. Yeah. Then the other one was a Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show record. Oh, yeah. uh, and then Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy. Yeah. And I went home and I started figuring out the, sh- <clears throat> you know, how to tune the thing and all that. And, nice. and the Sha Na Na record became, you know, the easy one to figure out, the Led Zeppelin one I'm still working on. <laughs> right, totally. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, I mean, that was just one of the great bands of of that year. Yeah. And, great. you know, we're lucky to have uh, Rick Ellswood, who was the guitar player, lives in the area, works out at Bananas at Large. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So cool. it's, that's oh, great. I get to, to look at him and go, hey, I saw you when I was 15. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I might ask, uh, do you remember what kind of bass you had? That, I that do. I one? still have all the parts of it. Nice. It was so a, do I. Mine's in parts, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, a KSG copy with one pickup. And it was beautiful red and black sunburst when I got it. And then that, somewhere along the line, I decided it had to be spray painted black. Right? Because that's what every young man yes, does. Yes, we go through that. Exactly. <laughs> With everything. <laughs> so now it's, got, it's covered in a thick coat of Krylon paint yep. <laughs> and lying in a box in my closet. Wow. But I still have it. A really similar story. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think every, everybody has it. Right. My first guitar is now sanded the finish off, mm-hmm. prepared to be painted for now years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't painted it. And what color are you going to paint it, Daniel? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see when that day comes. All right. Yeah, it's in parts as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that's what I did. Is and I just back then, you, you know, you could. I mean, records were the obvious one because you could repeat them. You know, and mm-hmm. back then you had to pick it up and put it back down and pick it up and scratch the record in the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then if you know, once you got a little more comfortable, I would just turn on the radio at night, turn the lights off, and try to play along with whatever you know was on the radio back then. So that was my uh, my early schooling, and you know later on I I took lessons from a couple of people, mm-hmm. including uh, Lawrence Welk's bass player, mm-hmm. who was a phenomenal bass player lived uh, in L.A. for a long time, and I think he actually moved to Branson. Hmm. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. And so, do you remember your very first gig ever? Yeah, I think uh, I was in high school, and some friends. I'm pretty sure there was probably more to this, but all I remember was they gave us $100 uh, for the three of us, so we each made $33 and change. And it was some guys who probably we shouldn't have been hanging around with. (laughs) Uh, They were older guys that had fast cars and a house up in the hills and some young girls that we knew said, hey, we just met these guys who want a band for their party. And like I said, I'm sure they 
weren't quite as interested in the band as they were the girls. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure the money came from somewhere. Right. <laughs> but that was the first, the, my first actual paying gig. It was a pool party somewhere in Brentwood or something. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, and was that like, how was that for you? Playing your first gig? Was it, uh, it was, yeah, I'm sure it was exciting. I mean, I, we didn't really know any songs or anything. Oh, really? Yeah, we just sort of made noise. Okay. Nice. And, um, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I guess that that sort of was a good first step. Yeah, I'll say a pool party in uh, totally. Brentwood. Oh, Brentwood mm-hmm. with yeah. cute girls. Sounds and, like good pay too. And there was, I'm sure there was beer there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, not that I would have tried it. <laughs> so actually, yeah, you know, um, we actually met just to, to let people know. We met, um, I think it was a couple of years ago at Main Street Bar and uh, Bistro in Guerneville, just very mm-hmm. briefly, and you were the bass player. Uh, for Wild Janie Roberts, and um, so she's a vocalist, and John oh. Simon on the piano, and I, Kendrick Freeman on drums. I yeah, believe. well, I, I I don't know if I was playing with with her. I know who she is. She's wonderful. I think we met at that venue with many of the same people, except Jeffrey White was playing drums because he's the guy oh, who hired me. Oh, yes, that's right. At it was the, Jeffrey. It was sort of I got the afternoon call, like, can you be here tonight yeah. kind of thing. Okay. And uh, so I don't really remember everybody's name, but I think the piano players, uh, because I've, I've been in there to see, um, I can't remember anybody's name, the woman that you just mentioned. Uh, yeah, Janie. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in there because my wife and I sometimes go there for dinner. Yeah. Chances are we're going to run into friends, you know. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's a really neat place. It is. Yeah, and so um I remember we just have like a brief interaction um after I don't know, maybe it was during break or something and you said something about um what makes like how you pick a gig oh. to do. There were like the three, three points. The three points. Yeah. Right. Could you share those that's, with our that's, audience? That's that's my uh my little equation. So there's three aspects to taking a gig when the phone rings. And uh, the first is, you know, the music. Is the music good? Do you like the music? The next one is the hang. Are the people cool? Are they decent to be around? And the third one is the money, because when you're doing it for a living, you have to ask about that. Mm -hmm. If you get any two of those, you know, uh, then you've got a good job, Mm -hmm. you know. I'll play some great music for lousy money with nice people mm-hmm. and, and some of the other combinations too. If you get all three, you have a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they, they don't come around that often, so you just jump. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I loved, I loved hearing your three points that night, and I haven't forgotten them. It makes uh, that decision a little easier sometimes because sometimes when you're young, you'll say yes to things you shouldn't. Yep. And... and Generally speaking, it's not the musical part that bums you out. Yeah, I hear you. So that leads maybe to another question. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes a gig unenjoyable or difficult? Oh, well, <laughs> that's a can of worms. <laughs> yeah, no um, names needed to be mentioned. But right, no. I won't mention any names because it, it hurts people's yeah. feelings. Um, you know, what can what makes a gig great? Like I said, is when you've got, you know, even even mediocre music played by great musicians who are nice people can be mm-hmm. sublime. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't ever have a problem playing Mustang Sally <laughs> as long as the band actually has listened to the record and, and honors what made that record so popular. Mm-hmm. That's a 
spectacular record, you know, and, and there's a reason that people always yell it out. Plus, it's fun to sing along with. <laughs> so conversely, you can be playing the greatest music in the world, but uh, if you're hanging around with a bunch of jerks, and, and this leads into my other theory about music and people, um, chances are jerks, even if they're technically proficient and, and even famous for their technical proficiency and all that, once you get good enough, you start to play the way you are. So if you're a jerk and you've got spectacular technique, you sound like a jerk all night. <laughs> you know? And um, but if you're a, a an empathetic, kind, listening, mm -hmm. uh, interactive human being, and you really don't play that great, but you take whatever you've got, that's how it's gonna sound, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um so, you know, that's that's what makes a bad gig is hanging around with jerks that think they're better than they are. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and it feels like that, what you're saying, it kind of translates into, you know, the vibration that we're actually offering the audience because if there's Absolutely. harmony amongst the players and a sense of generosity and kindness, that um, that vibe, you know, it's within our bodies, it's within, you know, that's what music is, right. is a vibration as mm -hmm. well as, of course, our... Absolutely, are, so. yeah. It is nice to go to a show and see a band communicate with each other and see them like enjoying. It's way more fun. It's way more. You know, fun. Mm -hmm. watching a bunch of you know, you know, and I'm I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I'm playing it, and I have to read music, so I just I look like I'm, um, yeah, for the, uh, the audience that can't see what I'm doing, I just look like I'm looking at the floor mm -hmm. because I'm looking at a music stand and right. checking everything out. And but then, there's yeah. still a lot of heart in it. I try. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the goal. That's the goal is to communicate. It's a social event, playing music. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of another quote that I read, something about, um, I think it might have been in that same article, about social skills that, like, as a uh, session player, mm -hmm. you really need to have good social skills. Well, it's it's... Yeah, it goes back to how your personality relates to the music. If if I walked into a room and didn't take any cues from either of you, this could be really unpleasant. <laughs> and and playing music is exactly the same. You know, you have to. I call it putting my antenna up. Your antenna have to be up. You have to be sensitive to more than just the notes. You have to be sensitive to, you know, the person who wrote the song. How are they feeling about what you're doing? What <clears throat> what are you giving to the other musicians to interact with? And in a perfect world, you all play at once. That's getting rarer and rarer. Now people, you know, make records in their bedroom and overdub things one at a time and nobody ever meets each other. And that's, that's a different challenge to make it sound cohesive and emotional. Mm -hmm. But in a perfect world, you're all sitting around um, playing and, feeding off each other yeah. and it's like a conversation yeah you know it sounds like a lot of fun it is a lot of fun yeah. when it when it when it's good there's nothing better mm. boy that so, i've tried yeah do you have anything that stands out as one of your kind of highlight um recording sessions recording sessions you know off the top of your head oh you know i i worked on a record um for a woman who just passed her name's erica luckett you know She's Erica? She's the girlfriend of my singing teacher. Oh. Yes. Yeah. So I, I played on two of Erica's records. Mm -hmm. And the first one I did, um, the, um, the producer hired one of my favorite uh, drummers, Dawn Richardson. And Dawn and I uh, were at Fantasy for a couple of days, Fantasy Studios in Berkeley. 
And um, that session was really fun. We, we reinvented a few things, just out of whole cloth. Uh, I got to uh, bump an upright bass player by playing electric, you know, as expressively as I could, which made me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the record just came out so beautifully. It was a, a real beautiful expression of, of Erica and where she was. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she wound up winning some awards for it and stuff. But I just, that record, is, I'm particularly proud of that work, uh -huh. you know. God, I'm really moved to hear that. Yeah, and Erica Especially. was such a sweetheart. Yes, and we, we, we played mm -hmm. uh, over at uh, the Freight and Salvage. We did a little memorial show a few months back. Mm -hmm. And it was very emotional. Wow. Yeah. So, Paul, what is the name of that album? Erica's album, do you remember? I can look it up later. Yeah, you'll have and to look I'll, it up. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll make a link for that. I know those titles of albums, they can slip one's right. mind. Well, you know, that's, that's the thing. I should, I should know it, but... Um, that's okay. You know, we'll put a link on yeah. there so people mm -hmm. can find it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. thank you for that. Sure. Cool. Yeah, and I think for people listening should um, probably know that Paul is very much a freelance sort of musician and has been doing that for many, many years, particularly uh, in L.A., I kind of want to talk to you about that sort mm -hmm. of environment sure. and just pick your brain a little bit about what it's like, you know, how it was for you, you know, what the well, social kind yeah. of environment is like in that <laughs> setting. <laughs> well, I mean, I, the thing is I grew up there, so I think that's normal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's um, compared to, to Northern California, which has a very vibrant musical scene and, and uh, a lot of great musicians, L.A. is, is a it's a working town. It's an industry town. And so you grow up, if you're interested in music, knowing pretty early on, it's, it's work. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the rock star thing wears off pretty quick. And if mm -hmm. you want to be a musician, you have to be prepared. Um, you know, you have to comport yourself a certain way, show up on time and wear a clean shirt, I always say. You'd be surprised how difficult that is for people. Of course, this is from a guy who showed up late for the recording. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a great training ground. And and when I grew up in the, in the 70s would be when I was starting to be an active player, there was still a very highly functioning, flourishing recording industry in Los Angeles. There was one in Northern California, too, just not as big because Hollywood was there. So the, the people that I wound up admiring after I sort of got out of my I'd like to be in the Beatles phase, and they still haven't called me, by the way, <laughs> um, were the session guys, the guys who would put their stuff in the trunk and go to work every day and play what was in front of them. And, you know, if, if you... Uh, there's a, a documentary called The Wrecking Crew, mm -hmm. and it's about all those people who played on all those records in Los Angeles, and you've got... You know, Carol Kay, who is every young bass player's, well, should be every young bass player's first instructor. She was mine. Just You're by kidding. Well, no, just really? because just I had oh, a book. Okay, gotcha, yeah. She was the first published electric bass method, oh, okay. period. Um, so, you know, we all have, I've got some ancient, crusty Carol Kay books in my, my bookcase. You know, and, and uh, Hal Blaine, the drummer who played on, you know, they both played on all the Beach Boys stuff and every pop record that came out of L.A., Tommy Tedesco. Those are the people that I admired, I'll, primarily because I thought, wow, what a great thing. 
you just go to work and play music, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then you go home. Um, also, you know, I don't really fit the the visual image of a, a rock star at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't look like Mick Jagger, uh, I'm, although we are starting to look a little wrinkly. <laughs> um, you know, so for a guy who really didn't want to stand up front and, you know, just... I just wanted to play bass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that to me is so those were my heroes, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there have been the, the the other people. I don't know what question you asked. I just started talking. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly what I was hoping it. for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a mission for me. Um yeah, I guess the original question was just what Oh, the, what it was like. Yeah, what it was like. For you. Well, you know, like I said, you grow up with a with a an awareness that it's an industry town. Mm-hmm. Um you know, recently there have been films, the one about uh, music in the canyon that Jacob Dylan did mm-hmm. um, and some other ones. You, know, you, you talk about, I, I don't know how I knew it, but I'd be driving in the car with my dad and the DJ would come on KHJ and say, we just got this new acetate from the birds. This mm. is the first time anyone's ever heard this. <laughs> and so you somehow I put it together that they were making the records there, mm-hmm. you know, in L.A. And they did. L.A. ruled the airwaves <laughs> in the 60s and 70s, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, from. So that was good. You you know, you, you're aware of it. I think I did my first recording session when I was still in high school at, uh, I was 17 or something. I, re- I barely knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But so the same for the guy who wrote the song and wanted me to record it. And back then... You couldn't make a record in your bedroom. You had to rent a studio and show mm-hmm. up on time and do all that. So that was very early uh, training. The the uh, um, sense of responsibility to the people you're working with, yeah. you know. And you get that also because I played in public school bands. You you learn that. I, one of my my favorite theories is participating in ensemble music not only makes you a better musician, it makes you a better person because you have to realize your responsibility to everyone around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you can't fix it later. <laughs> you know, you show up at, at band rehearsal ready to play. I really appreciate that. That's yeah. really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned it because my elementary school band teacher, um, I showed up to orchestra rehearsal one morning with my trumpet, but without the mouthpiece. Oops. So I sat on a stool next to him for the entire hour holding my trumpet on my knee. Oh my God. Never forgot oh my, my mouthpiece again. Wow. And you know, if you did that to kids now, people would, would report oh, you. And it's yeah, like, I think that's great training for the real world. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I've watched, I've actually witnessed the, um, that in uh, one of my teacher's classes because mm-hmm. I actually went back to school uh, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of years ago to study jazz and, and have actually witnessed um, a bass player, in fact, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> having to sit it out mm-hmm. in class for... But anyway, because you didn't show up prepared. Mm-hmm. That's how life is. That's right. That's right. how we learn. Yeah, yeah. And you know, right. I mean, I when my my son was in in band, one of the the parents got upset because the director had just reached his snapping point, and he broke his baton in half or threw it on the ground. And and the teacher was or the the parent was just aghast. He said, "They can't do that. These are children." I said, "Yeah, but we're supposed to be showing them how to be adults, right? Mm-hmm. Totally." And yeah, he he blew his top, but the kids weren't paying attention either. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Yeah, better that <laughs> he breaks that. the baton and yeah. throws it than you know throws it at a kid of course, or something. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of you know being prepared. Um, 
I'm curious about rehearsals when you're doing sessions. Do you have, how often? Like, Usually, you... no, not at all. Okay, so you just show up. Is <laughs> I that was true? about to ask. Like, yeah, I mean, like? uh, there's various, various, I mean, I, I've worked with people who will actually organize rehearsals and and that's fine if it's extremely difficult music, but if it's not, I I actually, there's a, that state of having your antenna up when you show up to the session and they either play you the song and you write out a chart or you get charts or they send you a recording of the song earlier. And, and usually the most prep that I'll do is I'll just write out a sketch mm-hmm. of the form so I don't have to ask what's this chord, what's that chord. Right. But the the big charge out of doing sessions like that is you show up with your antenna up and your your creativity mm-hmm. and you're listening and interacting and you make it there. Yeah. That's yeah. the magic. Yeah. That's so the electricity. If something is, like I said, unless it's extremely sophisticated, overly rehearsed, to me that's that's just not as, as fun. Mm-hmm. It can be, I suppose. You know, I, I mean, I... But for me, the excitement comes from showing up. Mm-hmm knowing that we're going to be, you know, interacting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard stories, you know, in some of those uh, documentaries that you mm-hmm. were mentioning about that kind of magic mm-hmm. just happening and, and everything is so fresh and it comes from that place of nothingness, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where you, something arises out, yeah. of, out of nothing and it's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah, you can spend your whole life developing your, your technique and your knowledge of this and that and the other, but when it comes time to play, as... as John McLaughlin once famously said, you should not be thinking about any mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be where you are doing what you're doing, not yeah. thinking of some other thing. Right. You know, John and my husband and I were, were at the beach yesterday and we were listening to um, an album that I was listening to the first time. It was Freddie Hubbard's Backlash. Mm. And, you know, I said to my husband, I was like, wow, it sounds like these guys are just really being experimental right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it was a you know, 1967 album, mm-hmm. and there was such a feeling of freshness about that album. Yeah. Just, um, and it just reminds me of what you were talking well, that's, about. Well, that is, and, and the very best, I mean, that's, that's you know, the thing about jazz is you get, you get these guys um, and, and gals, um, but people are listening uh, at a very high level. Mm-hmm which sounds kind of absurd to be listening at a high level, but they are. They're listening beyond their ears. They're mm-hmm. listening, you know, with their heart or spirit or whatever and just interacting. And then they've hopefully spent the time to get that out into the music. And, yeah, yeah for, uh, the 60s, 70s for, for contemporary jazz was just, man, there was mm-hmm. so much good stuff. Yeah, really cool. And there's there's still great musicians playing jazz and, and improvised music and you know it's just I think part of it was that the uh, the industry hadn't quite caught up to uh, the art and and sort of made it difficult to be creative. Mm. At, at this point, it's almost like it's a subversive activity, you know. Mm. Sad. Uh, it just what is what it, we'll figure yeah. out a way. People, musicians have always figured out a way. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, Esperanza Spalding. I don't know if you sure. saw that that the um, she did this project. I think it was seventy two hours of straight recording, mm-hmm. and nothing was written out in advance. And mm-hmm. she just you know had musicians coming sure. in. The video was on, and so and it was. I watched some of that footage. You know, that mm-hmm. was like for seventy two straight hours, and that's kind of what she was going for. Was what you're talking about? Yeah. Like, you know, you, just, you make something out of nothing. You're skilled musicians, and you come in with the capacity to, you know, kind of execute what's in your 
mm-hmm. being that's kind of wanting to come out. Yeah. And that's yeah. spectacular that she could do that. I mean, mm-hmm. we're... Courageous, too. Well, and, and also just that, that we can do that, that she could record... Can you imagine what it would have cost in 1978 to record 72 hours of continuous music? wouldn't have been possible. Mm-hmm. They would have had to drive a whole big truck full of recording tape up to the studio. And so I, when you were talking, I was thinking, well, that's a good thing about technology. Now she can record 72 hours worth of music probably if she had to. Well, she wasn't. She was sleeping for part of the Right, but, but what I'm saying is going, but if, yeah. you, if you're going to do that, yeah. you know, you can compile that. It's, it's a lot less expensive, yes. you know. Hopefully she can realize something for all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious if you, I know that you have taught bass. Do you still teach bass? I will teach anybody. So That's, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the things that um, I probably initially started doing it just because it was a way to make money. Um, and I, I like that part too. But I, I enjoy interacting with people and, and getting them to that, uh, that aha moment where their eyes, it's like you can see that something just connected. And that's that's really special, and and you know it doesn't always happen. Some people just enjoy talking, yeah, and that's okay. I like talking, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I love teaching. You Neat. know, can you tell us about your Yoda experience? <laughs> oh, that you was said Yoda, right? Yoda. I did say yeah. Yoda, yes, just, Daniel. Just to clarify, uh, <laughs> okay. I I um, I'm primarily an, an electric player, but I do own an upright bass. And I wanted to take some lessons, so I, f- I found a guy who was one of the main teachers down at Stanford and is one of the principal bassists when they do the Bach Festival in Monterey. He's awesome. I can't remember his name, but I can't remember my name right now. <laughs> and um, so I went down to his house, and it was it was interesting. You know, he's living there in, in uh, Menlo Park by Stanford, nice house. I walk in, and he's got a whole bunch of... Uh, chickens in the backyard which is unusual down there and and we carry our bases through his backyard and get into his little closet where he teaches and says all right play me a major scale and i thought okay i can do this mm-hmm. played major scales before and i started playing goes whoa, whoa 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 you're really really worried about playing in tune aren't you and i'm thinking well yeah <laughs> you know that's 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 the big part of the challenge of playing that instrument is keeping it in tune, and I'm also a little intimidated. So, but I didn't let on. <laughs> and he says, "What I want you to do is forget about the notes and just sort of enjoy the trip from one note to another, just passing from one note to another. Just enjoy it." And in my mind, I'm going, "Oh, fifty dollars." And I get Yoda, <laughs> you know. But I thought, well, maybe, maybe he's he knows what he's doing. So I tried to relax, and he just waited, and I just got relaxed. And then I played the first note, and then I thought, okay, I'm gonna just get to that second note. Yeah, that was pretty fun. And I got, you know, <laughs> and he was right. He said, see there, you played perfectly in tune. And I went, man, I never would have thought. <laughs> and that that came to serve me at a, at a session. I was hired to play. Uh, upright, which, you know, like I said, I, I own one. I, I try to dissuade people from hiring me from doing it, but, <laughs> but I'll, I'll do it. And the, the, the um, Joel Jaffe down at Studio D called me for something. It was a songwriter session and they wanted upright. So I brought my upright. I did the U. I said, you know, I've got four electrics there. Mm-hmm. Those, I play those all in tune. And 
the songwriter, which is somewhat typical for uh, a certain generation of folk songwriters who, who play guitar and open tunings, they, he didn't really know what the chords to the song were. And some of them were a little weird. So I just, I, I tried writing it out and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go trust my ear. I'm going to just enjoy mm -hmm. the trip from one note to another. Man, and we did one take and it was awesome. Dang. I don't cool. think I could do it again, you <laughs> right. know, but, but it, it just, it opened me up to like, yeah, just enjoy yeah. getting from here to here, from That's here cool. to here. Don't get so worked up about mm -hmm. it, you know, because you, then you carry that tension in your body. Yeah. It inhibits your playing. Right. So I know all about that. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, a, you know, it's scary. It's advice for me. It's trusting. Mm -hmm. You had to learn to trust yourself. Yeah. And I... I sort of figured I've done my 10,000 hours or whatever mm. it is they say you need to do, mm -hmm. so I, I should be able to trust myself. Mm -hmm. The very best music happens when I do. Yeah, totally. That's a great story. Yeah. Thank mm. you. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Mm. I wish I could remember his name. He's a great teacher. <laughs> Yoda. 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 Yeah. Yoda story. That's so great. Wow. I could definitely use some of that in my life. <laughs> it's, it's a big lesson, but it, it really really helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I am one who likes to, you know, practice a lot mm -hmm. and work really hard. And because I only started playing jazz about seven years ago, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, had to put in a, a lot of hours initially, but I found that, <clears throat> I mean, I'm still putting in a lot of hours mm. and I'm still a baby, but, um, you know, at, there was a point where I started to just really not enjoy what I was doing and mm -hmm. I would just get even more uptight when I'd have to perform. Sure. So I decided to like search out some books and there are a couple of books, you know, Kenny Warner has this one book called Effortless Mastery that a lot of people know about. Yeah, that's a good book. But you know, there's this other book and I, I love, I loved that book and it helped me. There's another book called Playing and Practicing from the Heart. Mm. And this book, it's very much about what you're talking about. And it, the the author, this woman, talks about like when you're actually practicing, um, can you relax and be that present even while you're practicing well, and enjoy sure. it as opposed to like, okay, you know, just <laughs> playing however, this was me, playing however to just get through these things because I got to learn these things here and da-da-da-da-da. But um, it reminds me that like every moment, whether we're performing or uh, just practicing or playing for ourselves or whatever, um, working on our chops, that that enjoyment and just going from one note to the next mm -hmm. is so important. Sure. Well, if you think about the function of practice, it's to prepare you for performance. Mm -hmm. So if you practice all tense, yeah. guess what? Yes. <laughs> you know, and... And, and it gets worse. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't, you know, it, it, it seems like it's it's a, a small part of, of the deal, but if you can relax to be at the point, you know, where you're delivering whatever you want to deliver, that's the point. Yes. The chops, completely irrelevant. As long as you can do what you need to do. That's why mm -hmm. um, my my earlier theory about people playing the way they are. Sometimes mm -hmm. the, the guys with all the chops are just jerks. It's mm -hmm. it's So who wants to hear a beautifully executed jerky solo? Yeah. <laughs> I would really rather hear one that kind of falls apart a little bit and but has soul. Well, that's very calming for me to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, but but you also, you should pay attention to how stress settles in your body while you're practicing because mm -hmm. that's that's exactly how you're going to play. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Oh, well, you know, it's also ergonomically good for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I certainly know these things. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think especially in the very beginning when there was so much intellectual information mm-hmm. for me with the jazz, it was particularly hard. And, you know, I was a yoga teacher for 25 years, oh, so it's so pretty you know funny. This. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's it was pretty funny for, not that funny, honestly, to watch myself be so stressed. Mm-hmm. And how can I apply these, you know, principles to mm-hmm. playing? But honestly, there was so much mental activity initially in just learning how to mm-hmm. read these charts and, you know, whatever, solo, that... It did. I was not able to just somehow stay connected to my body. Mm-hmm. Well, but, but you know, it's gotten but, easier. But so. you, so because you practiced. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, <laughs> practice is a very important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it just because you do, you can address uh, so many issues even by doing the same exercise. I'm constantly telling my students. You know, they'll they'll master major scales and twelve keys, and it's like. Great. You're going to be playing those the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be paying attention to different aspects every time. You know, because it's just a, a convenient thing you can remember and it familiarizes yourself with tonal playing. Mm-hmm. But now I want you to pay attention to how long the notes are. Mm-hmm. And it just, compl- you know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, I've got to practice that too. Yeah. yeah. So do you still practice? And I know you play so much. I play, you play a lot. out all the time. And I don't practice very much. And, and sadly, when I do, it's, I'm, I'm still fighting with the same Boccello suites I've been fighting with for 20 years. But there is a certain relaxation in that music that, uh, that I get when I listen to Yo-Yo Ma play it. But uh, when, I, when I play it, it it's still, there's a, a logic to it that just feels good. Mm-hmm. So if I'm lucky, I'll get to crack a book and, and read that or just occasionally, but not so much, I'll open up a, a fake book and I was looking at your, your real book over on your music stand. Mm-hmm. And I think I've worn through three of those in my life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and just just try to play some changes that I don't yeah. normally play. or I think that the trick is to try to do things that you don't normally do because mm-hmm. um, I know I can play a blues song. Right. That, I've yeah. done that a thousand times. I don't need to practice it. Occasionally you'll hear something different that you want to incorporate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, I don't practice very much. Yeah. I, I have gig chops. Yes. And, and that's fine. Sometimes if I've got something coming up, I will sit down and do some more disciplined uh, and it, it does. It goes back to the Bach. Even when I play it slowly and painfully, it's such an organizer. It is. It yeah. really makes your hands work nicely, and mm-hmm. it's musical. Mm-hmm. And I own the book, so I can <laughs> look at it anytime I want. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neat. That's a good point. So, Paul, mm-hmm. what's been your favorite kind of genre to play in? Oh, um, that's that's. Um, we preface that by saying I've noticed you've played in a lot of genres yeah, over the years. Yeah, I'm very you know? lucky that I, I get to, to do that. What's the Duke Ellington quote? There's two kinds of music, good and bad, and mm. I prefer the former. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think I like uh, songwriter-based music, you know, from whether it's Bob Dylan or Joni Mitchell or, or people like that, but also the, the country stuff where it's it's a little simpler but sometimes lyrically pretty interesting yeah. um, and emotional. But, you know, that said, I've, I've spent a fair amount of time playing R&B and blues-based music, and I love it. I just, I just think it all sort of goes together. Mm-hmm. 
now I'm going to sound old. Back when I was a kid, you know, there were only three sections in the record store. And I, I think it was like rock or pop, probably. No, I mean, not even rock. It was probably pop, jazz, and classical. Hmm. You know? And that was plenty. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you know, because everything kind of fits somewhere. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's cool that we have access to a lot more. I'm, I'm not that fond of... Uh, genre labeling just because it's like man um what do you mean when you say that yeah you know yeah. whereas back in the old days i just went to the record store mm -hmm. totally. yeah. yeah so yeah i think probably songwriter based music is, is my favorite thing it's really really fun to uh to be there when someone's realizing their vision of a song it's like being a midwife almost mm. you know because they they bring you this song that may just be a rough sketch and then, you know, you get to help flesh it out and see it to, to fruition. Yeah. Neat. There's a, a guy by the name of Jesse Denatale. Do you know Jesse? I don't. Oh, he's he's in Sebastopol. He's, yeah. he's probably one of the great songwriters I've ever played yeah. with. Mm. He doesn't play very much and uh, it frustrates a lot of us because we would love to be playing his music. But he's one of those guys who'll bring you a sketch and we'll kick it around for a while, and then we'll record it, and that's done. And that's very satisfying. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, he would be, if, if he were playing out, I'd know about it, because I pretty much play with him every time he does. But So Jess, no, Jesse, Jesse, Jesse De Natale. De Natale, mm -hmm. okay. Great, I'm going to have to check that out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I looked at a bunch of YouTube videos of you playing. Oh. And there's one where you're actually singing. That happens from time yeah. to time. So how was that? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it was sort of the, it was just the rule. When I started becoming a working bass player, mostly in L.A., I started working, uh, playing country music because there was work. You know, you could work seven nights a week, twice on Sunday. Uh, and, you know, the conventional wisdom was even if you were awful, if you could croak one song out of set, it would sp spell the lead singers and give them, a, you know, they could take a break. And I don't really consider myself much of a singer, but people put up with it. Mm -hmm. I like to tell people they call it Bellerin where I come from. <laughs> um, and, you know, I live with a, a world-class singer um, who's been on gazillion radio and TV ads and she sang on uh, the soundtrack for Rent and, and oh, things like that. She's she's an awesome, she's a real singer. Your wife? My wife, Laura Lee Christensen. Laura. Okay. And, and uh, so that doesn't intimidate me at all, you know, knowing that, yeah. that pretty much anything I try to do, she can do while she's sleeping and probably gargling water. <laughs> so... Um, but you know what? All it, what it does is it forces you to up your game a little bit, and we um, we have a band together, I and mean, we we play as together as often as possible because we actually like each other. <laughs> um, but we have a band together that that is pretty much a tribute to the music of Little Feet. The band's called Feet Prints, um, and Laura Lee sings in it, and another dear friend of ours, Beth Reynolds, and um, and then we've got a guitarist, Mark Bergstaller. And he sings, and I, I somehow popped off when I said, I can sing that stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I started listening to how Lowell George sings, and I went, I can't sing that stuff. 
But, you know, because I opened my big mouth, uh, I had to, to step up and do it. And I got to tell you, it's some of the most difficult music in, in that pop blues genre I've ever played. It's a very, you know, through composed. They don't just write verses and choruses and verses. They're all different. Mm -hmm. Harmonically, rhythmically, the length of the phrases. They're all, it's like... You so, know, so not, do you have charts for that when you I, play? I, mean, I do, and um, I'm trying to stop using them because it just doesn't look very rock and roll mm -hmm. to be reading music. But, mm -hmm. but especially on the songs that I sing, I, I, I kind of have to have little reminders because, you know, if I was playing blues or, or country stuff, I can play bass and sing. That's fine, you know, singing such as I do. But that stuff's a little more sophisticated, so mm -hmm. I have to focus... Some, sometimes I find myself thinking about two things at once, right. and I, I'm not really that smart. So, it, um, yeah, but that that definitely forced me to up my game in terms of being able to to beller a few more songs. Yeah. But I, I've always liked singing country music. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's sort of a, a going home thing for me. I guess mm -hmm. my mom listening to it when I was young, Neat. and it it works well with the kind of voice I have. Mm -hmm. You know, if I wanted to sing opera, I'd be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife ever give you some vocal coaching? Occasionally, you know, it's 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 uh, you have to be careful when you live with the person because what I'm, what what you might say to a student could start World War Three at home. Yeah, totally. So you know, fortunately, I mean, I tried showing her some scales on on a guitar, and she lost interest, which is probably good because it probably bad if, if I were giving her lessons but you know she's 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 the most encouraging person I've ever uh, been with and so occasionally she go you know what I don't want to hear you talking about how you don't sing you sing fine mm. and if you practiced a little bit and it's like okay all right <laughs> but she's right you know yeah. if I if I put some serious effort into it but I'm I'm fairly happy with the way I sound most of the time if I'm not listening too close yeah. Well, I, what I heard sounded awesome. Oh. And just, yeah, it was a blues recording. Oh, okay. Yeah, and just really, you know, just right in there. You never know what's going to show up on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. That's why I try to keep my pants on when I leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so are you guys, um, your band, the the Little Feet? Yeah, feet, feet Prints is feet what prints. we call it. Yeah. Okay, Feet Prints. Mm -hmm. And that's F-E-A-T? Mm-hmm. Prints. Um, and are you playing somewhere soon? Well, by the time this comes out, it will have happened. But we're playing tonight in Pacifica down at the, uh, I forget, the Community Center concert series they do there. We just played Thursday night at the Redwood Cafe in Katati. Um, I know we will be playing, let's see what I can see on my calendar while I'm, I'm talking. Um... Doesn't look like we have anything coming up immediately. I know um, while I'm plugging things and looking at my calendar, I'll be playing with another sort of local hero, Mark Karen. Do you know Mark? No, he was um, Bob Weir's guitarist for a long time. And I met Mark when he helped Bob open the new Sweetwater in Mill Valley. And he was sort of a, he had a residency there for a year and, I went down and, and we did an old-fashioned cattle call where a bunch of bass players got up and played. And mm -hmm. fortunately, the, the really good guys couldn't do the gig, and so I got it. And I've played with Mark off and on since then, and we're gonna we're starting to play a little bit. So we're gonna be at the the Redwood Cafe 
on Thursday, the 5th of September. Um, and then with Laura Lee, we play out at Rancho Nicasio in mm -hmm. West Marin. Uh, we'll be there on September 20th. So that's a good one. And that's kind of fun because cause instead of us worrying about conforming to somebody else's idea of what we should do, mm -hmm. we pretty much do what we want. I mean, it's also good that she's a really good sport because I can say, well, I think you should learn these three songs for next time. And she goes, okay. And she just does it, you know, because nice. she's good. And then we, so we get to, to do a bunch of stuff. And that's, and Nicasio is always one of my favorite places to play. I've been mm. playing there for a long time. It's beautiful out there. Too. Yeah. Mm. Paul, I want to ask you about um, sort of the SF, San Francisco, Bay Area mm -hmm. sort of years now. And that takes us to today, right? Right. Well, I, I moved um, to the Bay Area in 1991. Um, and it wasn't a musical move. It was a move that I did. I was, I was married uh, to a woman and, and we decided we were going to have a family. So we moved to Pacifica and I started working as a carpenter for an old friend. And there's an adage that says you should not work for your friends, and that's true. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it worked out fine. It was, it was um, you know, it's a different, different scene, and it, it took a little different kind of negotiating to break in. Uh, people in the Bay Area tend not to like people from Los Angeles, just on principle. Sure. Not really sure why I always chalked it up to jealousy. But um, <laughs> so, you know, started going out and networking and sitting in and passing out lots of cards, passed out lots of cards. And eventually I wound up being able to work. And it, it was curious to me that there were two very distinct scenes that I discovered. One was the working country musician scene, which was primarily based down in the South Bay in San Jose. And you could. You could work seven nights a week and twice on Sunday and, you know, make a little living if you wanted to. Um, and then there were the more creative uh, songwritery types in San Francisco and, and that. And then I discovered that a lot of the blues and R&B was, was coming out of Oakland and the East Bay. And, you know, just little, little factions, whereas in L.A., kind of everybody did everything, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I learned how to negotiate that and, and found it entertaining that somebody who would play for free on a Saturday night for 45 minutes and didn't understand that they would pay me to play for four hours at a country line dance bar. Mm -hmm. and, and, and similarly, the country people couldn't imagine why I would take a paid night off to go play a 45-minute set with a songwriter. Right. Mm -hmm. gotcha. And I, I just, you know. Mm -hmm. But eventually we all, we all find our, our pack and I, I found uh, people and, and was very fortunate to be able to get to, to work a fair amount, you know. Uh, a lot of the work, uh, I mean, the country work is all all but gone. That's mm, really? there, there used to be so many line dance bars, and uh, you know that generation of people is they've passed or they don't go out. Mm. You know that that was um, to go back to the Ashkenaz last night. That was a refreshing thing. A lot of the people there were older, which just means they know how to dance touching. Right. You know, they know how to two-step and mm -hmm. and get out of other people's way and all that. And then so I I did, I was really reminded how much I missed that. Mm. Because, you know, we tend to think of country bars as line dance bars. And they, they the probably the ones that made the most money were. But the little honky-tonks where, where people would go every Friday and Saturday night, 
gussied up and mm-hmm. dance. You know, I found that 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 was that was a little homecoming. Yeah. Do you like to dance? I can't dance to save my life. <laughs> I, Not a little two-step? Yeah, I, I, you know, I can sort of snuggle on the dance floor, and and every now and again, you know, we will. But I, I'm terrible. I my excuse has always been I learned how to play, so I wouldn't have to dance to meet girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm awful. I'm wondering how people can find you if they want to hire you. Well, I, I did used to have an active website, and I sort of let that go to seed. So if you look up paulgeen.com, you'll get some interesting stuff in a language I don't read. Let me just spell that, actually, for it. Or go ahead. Paul, P-A-U-L, Olgin, O-L-G-U-I-N. I don't have a website. I have a Facebook page. There's, there's as you pointed out, numerous YouTube videos of me hopefully not embarrassing myself and uh yeah and you know i'm on the inner interwebs mm-hmm. i just don't have an active website right. anymore yeah and do you have a um a musician uh, uh profile page on facebook i kind of do i haven't <laughs> done much with okay, it but but, could, but if, if people yeah. put my name in facebook they'll find me i'm yeah I'm, Okay, and they can message you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see you from every now and then uh, mm-hmm. putting out and say, hey, um, you know, bass player for hire. Right. And boy, all of a sudden, like, you're just booked up. Yeah, well, it, it, it works out that way. You know, um, back in the good old days, as my grandpa would say, I used to be able to play 250 to 275 gigs a year, which it sounds great. It's as many days as a normal person goes to work. Right, well, yeah, I just went to work at night. Yeah, but um, getting those gigs. That, it, it, know, it, but and it, that doesn't exist anymore. That economy is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the people who go out and go to clubs that would support live music. A lot of them, you know, the music's changed. It's it's more a little uh, DJ based, yeah. which is there's some great stuff. I'm not putting it down, mm-hmm. but it put me out of work just the same way you know pianos put orchestras out of work. They complained yeah. about that when the piano became a thing, mm-hmm. you know, a couple hundred years ago. Okay. So you know, it's it's the the uh, the evolution of the of the art form. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So sure, oh. I'm out there for hire. <laughs> cool. And what is the pay like uh, now? For you <laughs> Same compared? as it was when I started. Yeah, isn't that? I've heard that from so many people. Oh, it's and, it's uh, mm-hmm. because people. I I mean, you know, a lot of the the older players that I played with would tell me stories. Oh, I moved here in 1965 and started working and I could, my apartment was $30 a month and gas was 50 cents a gallon, right. you know. And and now a lot of the the clubs are still offering the same pay they did. You know, it's it is what it is and uh, I don't like to complain about it too much because nobody's ever put a gun to my head to make me do this. But yeah, musicians don't get pay raises that often. Yeah, I just kind of find that surprising. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's a uh, it's 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 economics. There's a surplus of us, mm. right? And Everybody love, wants to be a musician, yeah. and we love to do what we do. And every couple of years, there's a new wave of young people who are so anxious to do what they do. They'll they'll do whatever to get to do it. I think there was also a point, sort of. Uh, when being in the musicians' union was beneficial in terms of playing clubs, I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, because they would protect, you know, the wages. But now, you know, we've all heard about the famous pay-to-play clubs, and the 
that that exists. It exists everywhere. It's and they, where you have to guarantee a certain number of tickets sold before you start seeing income. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people people are surprised to find that that still happens. And and there's a you know some major clubs around here. Um, one just closed in San Rafael, and it was very very anti musician. You know the way their contract was. Which one was that? The Phoenix. Really, the Phoenix just closed in San Rafael, not okay. in Petaluma. Okay, yeah. No, the one still. in Petaluma is is church. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. I didn't even grow up around here, but every story I've heard about the Phoenix in Petaluma is like, man, that place should be a national mm-hmm. treasure, just for all the great things he did for young people. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another club where where that is true to that level. I I really respect them, and like I said, I. I've only been inside it once. Yeah. Well, thank you for that shout out. Oh, yeah. No. Awesome place. Mm-hmm. Really, they do a lot to promote uh, just health care and mental health care and lots of things for young people. Mm-hmm. Very, very good place. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That was a cool music spot, actually. Yeah. Cool I mean, I've heard the list there. of everybody who played there. Yeah. And it's, it was the place to go. I was unaware of those places, even when I was living in Pacifica, because, um, you know, from... South of San Francisco, everything north of the Golden Gate Bridge from San Rafael to Humboldt looks the same. Mm-hmm. Now I'm finding out the subtle differences. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm liking Absolutely. it pretty well. Yeah. Sonoma yeah. County is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. I agree. Well, Paul, is there anything else that you would like to take this opportunity to talk about? Um, oh, wow. Um, you know, there's so much. And, and I just had a big coffee, so I could probably... <laughs> talk for a long time without even making sense (laughs) um no i just i i want to thank you for inviting me to this i was i'd never done one before and 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 this is a great thing and i I really enjoy it Um, this is exciting this is always just a joy to Mm -hmm. have you on yeah i was thrilled when you when you said yes oh well it just Mm -hmm. you you seem like a nice you didn't seem like crazy (laughs) that (laughs) doesn't help right yeah one of the three rules one of those yeah yeah, well it's one of those the the sub rule and nobody's crazy (laughs) um but yeah it just seemed like a a nice thing and a positive thing and, and it is yeah well thank you so much for sharing you know your heart and your voice and your experience and uh your uh, funny quips and interesting <laughs> stories. Yeah. I, yeah, and I just want to say, like, really opened up my eyes to, like, um, kind of session players. You know, I guess I had an idea of what that world was like, uh-huh. and it was totally not accurate at all. <laughs> right. You know, I figured you guys go in and really play the music as written in a lot of ways. Well, you know sometimes I mean? sometimes that's the case. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's what people want, you know, and, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, and, and I've, um, I've done that... And that's fine, you know, and, and you, you try to breathe a little life into it if you can. Um, sometimes there's a thing that, that we call demo love where people have demoed out a song at home mm-hmm. and they're so married to what they did, uh, they basically expect you to anything. recreate it. And it's like, well, why, why don't you just put out the one you did? Yeah, yeah. You know, why are you paying me to re-record your parts? Right, totally. mm-hmm. Although sometimes it just improves the sounds, sounds and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's... At the very best, it's a creative process. That's what I love. You know, that's cool. I mean, the challenge of reading something well is is well, it's huge. Um, I'm not that great a reader, so it's really huge. But that's a that's a valid challenge, and I'm certainly not dissing it. It's just I think what gets my juices flowing is mm-hmm. that interactive yeah. thing mm-hmm. yeah. and playing music into a 
really nice sounding studio. Mm. Just getting them the sound in the air. Neat. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining well, us. Well, thank you for That's having thrilled. me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for tuning in today on uh, MMC. <laughs> Appreciate you being here and taking this whole journey with us. And uh, we will see you next week. Okay. Take care. We hope you have some meaningful musical conversations of your own. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.